Welcome to FinTech at Kellogg, a podcast where we'll shed light on the innovative people, ideas, and technology that are transforming the financial service landscape as we know it. I'm your host, John Cambris, and this is the second part in our episode with Bruno Laval from the class of 94. In this episode, we focus on privacy coins, and Bruno shares his thoughts on these protocols and discusses their true long-term value. We also touch on the importance of tokenized securities and how they can significantly increase adoption. And without further ado, here it is. Another, uh, but speaking of things that are, are going to be popular in 2018 and, and beyond, uh, let's turn our attention to privacy coins. Privacy coins are another very hot topic. I know a lot of people in the crypto sphere are very high on uh, both Monero and Zcash, which seem to be leading the charge right now but two very different privacy coins. So uh, I'd love to get your take on privacy coins in general and then uh, to get your thoughts on where that space is going to go. So I, I was meeting with a friend of mine in, uh, in the biotech field uh, about a month ago talking about crypto and use cases. And it's, it's very valuable when you ca- we, we try to explain something to someone outside of the field. That you learn so much about the way they think. There's a lot of learning from it. And he was saying, well, I'm interested in crypto because it's crypto, because it's private, right? Because it, it's actually like the original cryptocurrency is the one, is, is, a, is, a, is cash, right? The one that you can move around, you can give, nobody knows what you have and who you give it to you if I give you money, etc. So privacy went through a bit of a gyration in crypto, which is that initially it was sold, oh, well, it's private. And then increasingly, but well, it's not so private because you actually, it's more immutable. <laughs> it means that your footprints stay forever on the blockchain. So it's actually fully transparent. So, no, it's actually the worst thing <laughs> if you don't want people to know where you've been, what you bought, etc. The image that I heard that I like is like back to the Cambrian evolution. It's like amber. It's like you've got the mosquito in the middle. And then you've got layers and layers of ambers. And in 10,000 years, you can still see the mosquito in the middle of that amber. And been, and, and maybe, you know, a million years later, there's a little, uh, I don't know, bug there, or, uh, right? And so you see the layer. It's all transparent, and it's immutable. You cannot remove the mosquito from the amber. So, uh, so it, it's still somewhat private because my understanding is that if you do only one transaction, you have a public key and a private key in crypto for, for the listeners who are not following closely crypto. The, the public key is like the, uh, the, the user ID or the bank account number. It's public, if you decide to make it public. And the private key is your password. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the private key, you, you don't tell anybody, but the, the, public, the, the public key, you give it to someone who is going to pay you. If you do only one transaction, let's say... John, give me a million dollars. Here's my public key. And I'm going to use that public key only for your million dollars. And uh, only you know my public key. I guess it's kind of quite private because only you know that private key. And maybe you don't even know who I am. So that's quite. But the way it works is that um, usually you would use your wallet or your address for multiple transactions. And so after a while, in, in some cases, people are publishing their address to get tips on YouTube or what have you. So um, the point is that, uh, you know, 
uh, using um, publicly, info publicly available information, it becomes pretty feasible to figure out who is who, and that you just gave me a million dollars. Thank you, by the way. In tether, in tether, in tether. Yes, well, yes. We'll see if you can actually. Right, right. We'll, we'll have to see. So, so in a way, then people say, well, okay. So blockchain, uh, 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 Bitcoin is not private, and people have developed a lot of privacy coin. And of course, uh, Mr. Privacy is who is John McAfee. Oh. <laughs> right? Everybody know John McAfee. I was wondering where you're going with this. Yeah. Okay. Right? Uh, so he's, uh, the, of course, uh, the guy from McAfee Antivirus. He's that, that, that greater-than-life personality on YouTube, and he's, he's selling a lot of different uh, coins. And, and, of course, you're right, Monero and, and Zcash are the biggest. Mm -hmm. But then there have been a lot of other ones, forks, notably, mm -hmm. and so a variation of existing coins. Uh, that have been created as well. Mm -hmm. So now you've got probably a dozen. You've got Pivx, Spectre, or Spectre, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. You've got uh, Sumo Coin. You've mm -hmm. got a, a lot of coins. Dash, I guess, has a privacy function. Dash, Ethereum yeah. said they're going to have a privacy switch as well. Yeah, so uh, Ethereum, for those who don't know, when they forked uh, a few months ago now, it, um, they implemented something called ZK Snarks, and that is an implementation form of Zcash, where you could potentially toggle, uh, toggle privacy on or off. So, so actually, going to that, right? So there's, there's really two types of privacy coins that are coming up. It's those that are completely private. Like Monero uses something called ring signatures. So there's no way to toggle off the privacy. And so a lot of the underground markets, let's just call them markets, um, Monero is the cryptocurrency of, of choice, right? And a lot, of, a lot of people outside the cryptosphere will say, well, Bitcoin is being used to buy drugs. If people are using Bitcoin to buy drugs at this point, then there's really something wrong <laughs> for, for what, for what you've, reasons you've said before. It's not only, not only is it worse uh, than, than cash, but I mean, you can literally trace back any transaction since the beginning of the ledger in 2009. But something like Monero, it's impossible to trace. Something like Zcash you could toggle it on or off. Do you have a view on which one of those will potentially win out, which, which form of privacy will win out in the long run? So, uh, and again, I'm not a technical person, so I don't have a, a technical view mm -hmm. on uh, this. Um, but what, I, what I'm thinking is the following, is that um, what, what, I'm, what I'm thinking is what will happen when governments are starting to get nervous, seriously nervous, about the use of privacy coins. Mm -hmm. um, and, or about the use of crypto in general, by the way. Um, uh, so there, there are two approaches. They could come down on the exchanges, which they already have a little bit. Mm -hmm. right. And then people would do private transaction, OTC, decentralized exchanges, and use private, private coins. Or they can say, you know what, we're going to ban or we're going to really crack down significantly on private coins. Um, now, I mean, a lot of people say, no, cannot do. Uh, uh, even China, who supposedly is the best at banning things, uh, hasn't been very successful so far in banning things in a way that would bring down uh, cryptocurrency. So uh, th that's one of the things I'm interested in, which is that can the government really bring down uh, private coins, or by nature, it, it's nearly impossible to, uh, to to prevent 
that. So in a way, the dilemma for the government is interesting because uh, if they're too tough on non-private coin and centralized exchanges, uh, the money is going to shift to decentralized exchanges, peer-to-peer mm -hmm. uh, -peer networks and, and OTC of the counter exchanges, and private coin, where they will have even less of a way to control what's happening. So I, I suspect this is why the government or governments in general are taking so long to decide what they want to do because they see the writing in the wall. They know that if it's really, if they too tough on one side, money can shift so quickly that and, and the, the, the situation is arguably irreversible, that the invention of the blockchain is something that cannot be uninvented. We cannot go back. We cannot right. go back to pre-Satoshi pre Nakamoto, the, uh, the person or persons who invented uh, Bitcoin. Right. What governments can do is that they can make it harder for you to use it, right? And then I, I think that that's where um, governments, you know, when you think about regulation, this is what regulation is going to do. It's going to make it harder for you to use it. And if it's harder for you to use it, and the value is not very clear or is not very high, then we are not going to see this uh, this tipping where everybody is going to start using it, right? And, and then the, the question is whether we're yeah. going to end up having this uh, selection bias, right? That those who are using these privacy coins are, it's very clear why they're using them. And then that means that these privacy coins, they are going to be used, but it's not that they're going to be used as, as common payment option or common uh, mm -hmm. way to uh, really um, save, your, save your money or an investment opportunity. Um, and this is why I actually believe that when you think about these uh, privacy coins, it, you have those coins where you are able to know that there was a transaction, you just don't know what exactly was the transaction or how large it was, or some of the information is keep it is kept uh, private and you can understand why it would make sense for this information to be kept private so example if you think about two banks um, being able to see each other's transactions well I'm concerned that my competitor is going to know exactly what I'm doing so I can see how the government is going to understand that it makes sense to really make some of this information private, but I still want to have the identity. And I think that if we're going to keep that on this level, then the government is going to feel more comfortable with it. And I think that that's going to be good for, for everyone. Yes, yes. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, and in a way, the way I'm looking at it now with a little bit more perspective is that there are two sides of the crypto world. There are the maximalists, the, the privacy-centered people, the full decentralization. They are the, the anti-Roger Ver, the anti-Bcash, because Bcash is just a little bit less decentralized, and so they hate each other, Bcash and... and, and um, and, and, and Bitcoin. And ju just to jump in quickly, for those in the audience that may not know, there's uh, there's Bitcoin and there's Bitcoin Cash, which are two very different things. And Bitcoin Cash is sometimes referred to as Bcash, so that that's the Bcash reference. That's that right. That's right. And the difference is that one is completely decentralized, is more decentralized to the cost to to the to the detriment of being higher cost per transaction, mm -hmm. slower, and in some ways less reliable. And that, that's the that's point, maybe not. But certainly, 
much more expensive and slower. Right. And, and it has to do with the size of the block, and uh, we, we don't need to get into that. And Bit Bitcoin Cash is intended to be more usable for cash transaction because it's, it's faster and cheaper right. to the cost of centralization yep. to a degree. And so on, on, on one hand, you've got people who are maximalist in terms of decentralization. They want to make sure that crypto cannot be censored by the government. On the other hand, you've got another group of people, and Professor, that's probably more the group that you're referring to. Some people are calling them the settlers, or they're more into practicality, accommodating, and being usable, including being usable by the existing financial institution. And the, the best example of that is Ripple. Oh, okay. Right? Yes. <laughs> Ripple, right. because Ripple is that, that way of using the blockchain. I've tried to remove Ripple from my <laughs> brain, so that's, that was my hesitation. Now we know which side yeah. you are. <laughs> and so Ripple is one that said, you know what, forget all of these um, uh, sort of uh, um, uh, cypherpunk and uh, people obsessed by privacy. We just want good database technology to help bank uh, win themselves from the SWIFT yeah. system. Yeah. That is what, the 50-year-old or 100-year-old, whatever, 50-year-old yeah. maybe. And, and so that's Ripple. And Ripple went from zero to $100 billion in a matter of weeks or months or two months. And at some point, the founder of Ripple was richer than Bill Gates, or, or in, in the, maybe not quite, but... Uh, I think you're right. It was at that level, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. it, no, it went down 50 or 70% yeah. after that. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 big, the big issue with Ripple, and I actually think Ripple, the company, is doing good things. The, the problem is that you don't need the XRP token in order to use the system. So I think there was a lot in the community that were scratching their heads on why the XRP token was gaining so much value when, as far as, as, far as I can tell, it's quite literally useless uh, at this point. So we'll see. Maybe they're speculating that there will be future use. Yes. But, um, but Ripple itself is, is doing that. It's trying to disrupt this old system um, that has kind of had a stranglehold on the financial system for the last 40, 50, 60 years. Yes. And, and so, so, as you said, Professor Markovic, it is a, it is a, a bit of that, that conflict between people who are purist cyberpunk or cypherpunk, I should say, and then more practical um, sort of uh, uh, accommodating within the system group. And, and they're fighting all the time. So it's very entertaining <laughs> if you go on YouTube or on Twitter to see them fight, sometimes physically. Yeah. So... Just on that point, do you see a world in 30, 40 years where millennials now are older and instead of putting money in a Swiss bank account as the wealthy elite would do now, they're putting money into a Monero or a Zcash or another type of privacy coin? Well, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, um, I would start with that story. I don't know if it's a real story or not, but it could be. It's a little bit gruesome, Professor Markovic, so... Pardon me, but I heard that some people would insert a diamond under their skin so that if they end up in a Mexican prison, they lose everything. They, 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 they have a way to start again by getting the diamond out from under their skin. I don't know if it's a real story or not. Someone will need to research it. It's a good it. story. It's a good story. But so the idea is that there's a use case for crypto which is the same. To say, take, take $10,000 or the million dollars that you just gave me, John, for example, right? So instead of giving me the million dollars, 
you're going to say, I'm going to put it on the web, uh, on, on, on the blockchain. I'm going to use Monero, completely private. Uh, Professor Markowitz would not know that I put the million dollar on the web. But I don't want the fluctuation mm-hmm. of Ethereum. I want to put it in a stable coin. But nobody knows it's there. I just need a private key. I can change it into a, a drawing or keywords, whatever, seed words. Only, know, only me know that the money is there. Okay? And, uh, and if I need it, if I end up in a Mexican prison, and it doesn't need to be Mexican, by the way. It could be a French prison, <laughs> for that matter. I know that I just need to remember these, uh, these, th- that, that keyword, and I can get the money back. Mm-hmm. So that's a use case of, of that, is, that is, I guess, I don't know, a, a, that, that could be envisioned. And the question is, for government, how do you prevent people to do that in an uncensored blockchain environment? And so, in a way, uh, the, the, there is something fundamental about uh, cryptocurrency, which is that it, it makes it very, very hard for central government and central banks um, to, to control what people do with their finance. And so even if uh, there still going to be a lot of rules, regulation, crackdown, because it's so hard and because you don't need to trust a bank in uh, the Virgin Island or what have you, you just need to trust a smart contract, it would become much harder for the government to control it. And it will shift the power towards uh, more freedom, more economic freedom. Uh, in some, and, and I'm sure also some abuse of the system, mm-hmm. by the way. So the same way at the beginning of the web, there was also some abuse. But it, 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 I, I think there is a, there is a there, certainly that's my view, that net-net any new technology is going to be also used for, for negative uh, purposes. But there are so many positive uses, including asset protection, including... Frankly, um, uh, making sure that uh, uh, you, you keep the privacy of your assets and uh, that you don't get you don't get um, um, robbed, right? You you're private about your financial dealings, or, or you you're not fortunate to live in a, in a great country like ours, and you're into a country where you don't have that freedom to start with, and uh, and you really need protection in in, the, in many of these countries. We mentioned a couple of them uh, earlier, so. Uh, I, I feel it's it's uh, uh, it, it's a it's a very unique moment in the history of business, in the history of uh, technology, but also in the history of um, uh, of, of of government, and and that's a trifecta, and we don't know what's going to happen uh, in two years or in six months. We don't know what's going to happen. It might be that we're going to enter now a bit of a nuclear winter for maybe a year, maybe one year, maybe two years, maybe three years before crypto has another huge ramp up the way it did in 2017. Or maybe it already has buttoned and it, it, went, so it went down. The Bitcoin went from, um, from nearly 20,000 to 6,000 and now it's back at 11,000. Right. right. So now nobody knows where it's going to go next. I mean... Um, we could invest your million dollar um, uh, and bet one way or the other and yeah. see what happens. It's you know it's pretty pretty interesting. Uh, this entire space is obviously very interesting, but it's it's interesting that as the price continues to go down, the number of developers getting involved continues to go up, 
And I was listening to Chris Dixon, um, who is a partner at Union Square Ventures, and he, he does some great podcasts, and he, uh, sorry, Union Square, but he's a partner at um, A16Z. Uh, and he, he does some great podcasts, he writes some, some great blogs, and you know, his point was, well, looking back 20 years ago, when developers would come home, if they're in college and they'd come home from school, they were working on how to develop the internet. Well, no young developers th- going, thinking to themselves, I wonder how I can make the internet better today. I wonder if a group of us can get to- together and try to change something about the internet. But they are going home and saying, I wonder if a group of us can create something on a blockchain platform, whether that's running our own ICO or whether that's building a decentralized application. That's where the young developer power is going. You know, I saw it at, um, at the Ethereum Developers Conference that you know, they, they, they can't hire fast enough. Um, and any develop, young developer right out of college is making well into six figures if they know how to code smart contracts and code solidity. So there's a tremendous demand for young developers to work on these platforms. And you know, if the Ethereum, if the ETH Denver conference, which just wrapped up, is any indication, mm-hmm. the enthusiasm by the younger developer community is through the roof right now. So while the value continues to go down, like you said, um, the enthusiasm is, is rising. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I heard similar things that VCs that were not, or investment funds that, that were not in blockchain, that they, they were not interested, they had to because every super smart young entrepreneurs coming to them came to them with a blockchain idea. So they had, they had to start investing. Yeah, in but blockchain. don't get me started on that because a lot of these investments are not done because they actually understand what is the value behind the idea or what is behind blockchain or where this is going. As you said, it's because they had to. And I think that that's, that, that's, that is not, uh, yeah. But in, 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 you know, um, the, the point behind this is a very important one, which is that in these explosion of ICOs that we've seen in 2017, even now it continues, um, the percentage of projects that are going to be successful is, is going to be low, uh, probably for, for two reasons. First, in the hype, everybody say, well, I'm going to put everything on the blockchain, pets, whatever, uh, hair, uh, uh, you know, anything, oil. Uh, you have something? Uh, put it on <laughs> the blockchain, right? Anything you have, <laughs> I put it on the blockchain. Right. I can do an ICO. Right? Th- that's one reason why most of them are going to fail. The other reason, to your point, uh, is that um, they get the money right away. Right. So they did the ICO, they get the money, they cannot be fired because the coin holder are not shareholders. So are they going to be motivated to work for so many years to make the project successful? They, they get their proverbial Lamborghini already. Right. Okay, they did an ICO, okay. And um, so they're going to be a lot of failures, a lot of failures for sure. And it's too bad that I would expect the VCs to be the the ones who are kind of like guarding in a way and making sure that only those projects that make sense, that have potential and so on, are going to be able to raise these ICOs and to, and to raise these funds. And it seems like they, I'm going to be blunt, but they're so clueless that sometimes they're just investing 
you know, because they know that everybody else is investing in in blockchain, so they need to do that as well. Yeah, I think the SEC is going to come down hard on the those oh, the firms. ICOs. Uh, that there are firms that absolutely are getting in. They're putting their name mm-hmm. on this stuff early. They're flipping it early, and they're out. And I think that there's going to be a reckoning with those. I, I think there's some legitimate ones in the space, like Pantera. I think has has made a lot of good investments so far. Union Square Ventures. They were a founder in, in Coinbase early on. Um, you know, they've done some great things. Andreessen Horowitz uh, that I mentioned before. Chris Dixon's a partner there. They've done a lot of great things. But to your point. It, you know, it, you can't just be throwing money around. And, you know, Bruno, to your point, it, you, you give, you know, $15 million to a group of 23-year-olds, and then you say, well, here's $15 million, go build something. Well, there's a reason that vesting exists. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't just doesn't work like that. You're going to demotivate people immediately, and they're going to just be on their way with everyone else's money. So, you know, I think crypto in general needs to kind of get through this this part um, if it's going to succeed. And in, in there's no reason why... Um, you cannot build vesting, including milestone vesting, in the way the money Absolutely. from the ICO is made available Absolutely. to the core dev team. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 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 And we're starting, uh, we're starting to see some of that yeah. uh, happening. So um, uh, hopefully that would, that would create some discipline. Yeah, I think that was one of Vitalik Buterin's latest proposals, if I have that correct, was yes. a, a way to figure out vesting schedules for ICOs. So we, I know that we've been going for a while. Do we want to wrap up? Or do we want to talk about tokenized securities for a couple minutes? Um, Sure. A couple of words on tokenized Tokenized securities. securities? Okay. So let's let's turn our attention to tokenized securities just very, very quickly. Before we started recording, Bruno, you said that tokenized securities could be the thing, the big thing that comes out of blockchain in, in 2018. Could you elaborate on those remarks? Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, I, I was uh, in Miami at the North American Bitcoin Conference, and um, the amount of um, energy, or one could even say hype, about um, tokenized securities was over there. And it came from two companies in particular, Overstock and their T0 platform. And the idea of T0 is to, blo- to build, in essence, a, um, a blockchain NASDAQ trading platform fully compliant, fully regulated, and Polymass, which builds itself a little bit like the own ramp to that platform, to that exchange, sort of the, the crypto golden smack, go, uh, uh, Goldman Sachs. And there's a few other competitors to, uh, uh, to Polymass. Uh, um, uh, one is called LA Token uh, as well. So the, the amount of, of buzz, energy, or hype about... Um, uh, uh, securitization uh, was that high in particular because of this idea that so far um, we have uh, in currency we have dealt with only a very small fraction of, um, of wealth in, in our society. Most of the wealth is actually in securities. But they are in securities that are not benefiting yet from the blockchain, from smart contract, for the token um, efficiency. And so the, the, the whole idea is that you've got, uh, you've got perhaps $10 trillion of, of securities that are waiting to get on the blockchain. Now, so far, true securities, designated securities, 
um, tokens are very rare. There's not many of them. I mean, there are many that are pretending to be utility token and ultimately are, are going to be classified as securities. But the idea of securitization is that they would not be stuck anymore. The, the efficiency of the blockchain, the efficiency of having it as a token instead of the NASDAQ is too strong of a pool. That's one idea. The other idea uh, of uh, token uh, securitization or tokenization of securities is that uh, there's a lot of things that today are not securitized easily and could become securitized through tokenization. Art, real estate, a lot of things that are uh, tangible or intangible assets that you could use the, efficiency of, uh, the, the efficiency of uh, tokenization uh, to provide market efficiency and exchanges and borrowing and purchasing. So do, do you see that as you know, something that's one or two years out where you could take, say, a famous piece of art and you could tokenize that and you could sell pieces of that art on an exchange? Well, um, from my perspective, um, I'm on the skeptical part side of um, moving things to the blockchain that are not native to the, that are not already digital. So art, real estate, electrical, uh, electronic medical record, anything that lives outside of the blockchain, in my view, is going to take longer for, to create the link. Because let's say um, I'm going to tokenize my boat, okay? And I'm going to sell both of you a portion of my fractions of my boat. Um, okay, well, how am I going to check that I have a boat that is floating, that is in good condition, that I haven't already sold it to Bob? Mm. It becomes very hard to, to deal with on-chain, off-chain arbitration. And, 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 and so the, in, in these transactions, the main thing is trusting that what's on the blockchain and what's off the chain is... Um, is, is the same, and, and, and technology doesn't do that well. Right now, it, it needs, I don't know, uh, um, Oracle, people will go there and check things. It's very hard. But anything that is already a digital asset, stock, is perfect. So I feel that all of these exotic applications with art, uh, frankly, even in my view, with um, intellectual property are going to take much longer than we expect. And there's so much to do already with simpler, maybe less glamorous, but simpler use cases of assets that are already digital. And so they can go more easily uh, to the blockchain. Uh, it's incredible. The whole, the whole idea is incredible. So really exciting to see where this could potentially go. So um, I, I think we're going we're gonna to wrap up. Um, but... Any, uh, well, my, my, I don't know if you heard the term no-coiner. So no-coiner is someone who doesn't own any, uh, any, any tokens. Um, and now I, I'm getting on the nerve of all my friends because I say, don't be a no-coiner. <laughs> Put at least, open a Coinbase account. Come on. Uh, and to your listener, if you don't have a Coinbase account, open a Coinbase account. Put $100 on it, 1000 whatever. But don't be a no-coiner. You don't want to be a no-coiner. And the reason is not the money. Maybe you don't want to be a no-coiner. You want to be a no-coiner because you don't believe in it. And maybe you're right. Maybe the whole thing is going to collapse like a souffle. But you owe it to yourself to try it. The same way in 94, we have to try a browser to see what the whole 
thing about the internet is. So don't be a no-coiner. <laughs> Open a Coinbase or a Gemini account and put something on it just to be able to say, I tried it, and, and then you can comment on it. Experiment, yeah. I agree. Yeah, definitely. And, and for those who don't know, you don't have to buy an entire token, right? So I, th- I know a lot, a lot of people who are new to it might think, oh, Bitcoin is $11,000. I don't have $11,000. But um, just so everyone knows, you can buy a very small amount. So like Bruno said, you could buy $100. You could buy $10, $5 worth uh, just to get involved and, and, and to see, see what the hype's about. Um, but then, you know, to kind of go down that rabbit hole and see what, what different projects are, are coming about on this, on this technology. Um, bef- just the, the last thing, any um, uh, Twitter account that you have that you'd like people to follow or anything that you want to Well, uh, I, I, I mean, if you're new to crypto, the person to listen to, in my opinion, on YouTube in particular, maybe on, on Twitter as well, but in particular on YouTube, uh, is Andreas uh, Antonopoulos. He's, uh, he's, he's really such a good speaker and is so genuine and positive and... Um, so be, before you graduate to Roger Ver or, or Tone Vase or other more maybe uh, controversial YouTubers, really Andreas Antonopoulos is a person to, to listen to. I can get behind promoting him. Well, thank you so much. This thank is you great. very much. Thank yeah. you so much. Pastor Markovic, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Bruno Laval. If you want to know more about FinTech at Kellogg, you can reach us directly at fintechclub at kellogg.northwestern.edu or come check out our Facebook page. And if you liked what you heard today, please remember to rate us on iTunes and click that subscribe button to hear future episodes. That's it for now. Thank you for listening. Until next time.